Welcome to episode 273 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our topic this week, we're going to chat about the next step in art and artificial intelligence. So what do we mean by the next step? So we've talked previously on the show about artificial intelligence creating artwork. And, you know, we can debate the word creation uh, around artwork for AI, but nonetheless, the uh, uh, instantiation of that has begun. And we talked about the next Rembrandt, which created a Rembrandt-like artwork from an algorithm that learned based on the master's portfolio of work. Uh, so, so that was uh, one of the first times we discussed AI and artwork and the creation of that artwork via algorithms. So there's a piece in the news, Dirk, that uh, I think we both find pretty interesting, which uh, there's an announcement that uh, the famous auction house, the art auction house Christie's, which uh, for for listeners that may not be familiar with it, it's uh, a British company that was founded in 1766. Their New York branch is going to be selling an AI-produced work of art for the very first time. And that's happening in late October of this year. And the print that they're selling is on canvas, and it was created by an algorithm that was developed by a, a, a French company or a collective, an art collective called Obvious. And that was, uh, like I said, created through the use of AI and, and algorithms to generate this artwork. So Dirk, does this feel like a revolutionary moment uh, when, you know, serious art collectors take Christie's seriously, right? So that's where the high-end art scene sort of uh, was established, or, or at least uh, has been very influential. Does this feel like a moment where AI artwork is, you know, perhaps gaining some acceptance? I, I think the answer is we'll see. Um, you know, it could be a milestone. It could be a revolution. Um, it's, it's probably something more modest. It's, it's certainly interesting. I mean, first of all, we'll see, you know, how the, the sort of um, world of, of money reacts to this is, you know, is it a, a huge purchase? Is it a modest purchase? Um, what What's the result? I mean, that will that will tell us a lot. Um, Certainly, yeah. And then and then the what will also tell us a lot is beyond this. So, this is the first one. Is it? Um, does it over time as more come through? Does whatever happens in this moment end up being um, just just a, a mirage, something that was too low or too high? the start of something, you know, a curiosity. Right. Uh, we're not going to know until those those sort of data points are recorded. But it's it's certainly interesting. Yeah, and and you know, I think these all start as a curiosity, right? Like how could it not be? Um and so from that perspective and and you also mentioned, you know, this is the world of big money. This is art as, you know, not just collection but also investment, right? So when you think of art movements, you think about types of art that weren't really considered art when they were produced. So there's aspects of that, you know, whether, you know, Andy Warhol's work, you know, which, you know, the, the printmaking, which is uh, sort of famous now, or even going back further, looking at the use of technology, you know, uh, photography, right? Like uh, initially sort of seemed to be as uh, 
not necessarily artwork, but sort of a technical and technological feat. But now, you know, it's certainly uh, fine art photography is is considered uh, important and notable. So I like that word curiosity, right? It's this uh, initial bet at the track on this uh, on this horse. Like, is it really something? Is it really going to turn into something? And if it is this um, uh, these initial offerings from the French company, uh obvious those are going to be uh, big ticket items someday because they're sort of groundbreaking right now so let's talk a little bit about how art gets uh, created by algorithms and dig into that a little bit because i i think obvious has an interesting approach to the creation of their algorithmic artwork so they use a model called generative adversarial network or gan and They basically feed this AI a data set of thousands of portraits. In this case, they're portraits that were created between the 14th and 20th centuries. And so that's the training data set that uh, this algorithm digests and learns from, and that uh, enables it to sort of create these, uh, uh, these pieces that you know, I'm, I'm sure you took a look at some of the pieces on the obvious site. They're they're um, they're interesting. They're they definitely fall into that uncanny valley for me anyway, where it's not doesn't seem quite human. Um, we'll put some links up on the site so listeners can judge for themselves. But clearly, this training set. Uh, what I find so interesting about this act of creation is there's a lot of curation on the human side that enables this to happen. So this isn't an AI that just is generating these portraits, you know, without context. The context is being set by human beings who are curating thousands of portraits from a specific time in history to push out this new type of algorithmic portrait. So I'm not sure, you know, in some sense, like I get it, okay, the AI is creating something new. uh, But at the same time, it's really based on a historical data set that has been established by people and then curated by people. So it's really more of a hybrid. I don't know if it's, it's AI art necessarily, but really sort of a human, AI-enhanced human art. Uh, wh- what do you think of that take, Dirk? Oh, it certainly is is a hybrid, right? And that gets into definitions um, of what is this stuff and what, what constitutes um, art created by AI. You know, going back, um, I mean, at least to the Rembrandt project, which we've talked about before on the show, the examples so far are all different levels of of that kind of collaboration. So, uh, you know, the, the, the designation of, oh, this is, this really is AI art or it isn't, I don't think is particularly useful unless you are somebody wanting to spend a lot of money at Christie's for the privilege of making some claim about your art. Although uh, even the piece in the Christie's auction, uh, no one is claiming is the first piece of AI generated art. But yeah. So the specific designators I think aren't as important, uh, but these are in fact, human machine collaborations at a level far beyond the human machine collaboration of the human and the brush, for example. Right. And so I think right now we're answering the question pretty significantly, the the idea that, you know, whether or not AI can be a tool for artists, right? So if you 
look at this as human enhancement as um, sort of an evolving tool set. Certainly, AI can be applied to you know any number of industries, but in the in the area of art, in the creative industries like fine art, we're really going through this process of answering that you know the question: Is this AI tool set sort of a, a of a valid, a useful way of generating new artwork that's interesting and compelling and that people can relate to that, um, you know, and that might have value in the long term. So I think the answer to that is yes. I will say there's also this interesting layer over top, which is just sort of all about the human decision making that makes the AI artwork possible. And as we reveal more of that, you know, I, I think it actually makes the artwork seem more human. So if you know that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that human beings are curating this, and then even more so that they've created also this AI code, right? So um, it really is a very active and astonishing and interesting accomplishment that human beings have done that we've created this, uh, or not we, but that the the folks at Obvious have created this uh, digital machine that can generate artworks. That's an accomplishment in and of itself that's sort of separate from the artwork, right? So now there's this this mathematical model that generates things that humans can relate to. I, I, I find that you know, maybe maybe that's a piece of artwork in and of itself. Yeah, and so much of this, and, and this gets to a lot of things that have to do with AI, is that we don't know what the human directions programmed into the AI were and the degree to which or how that influences what the AI is doing. So, uh, for example, if you look at on the obvious website, the photos on the homepage like start there, but go, even going into the gallery, this software has a an art style. These aren't different images with completely different styles. They're uh, compositionally classical, but then they are um, almost, you know, um, almost sur- impressionistic to surrealistic in terms of the style on top of it. And that's consistent through, you know, through all of the works that they have um, up there. I think maybe, you know, one of the subjects looks more 19th century uh, as opposed to earlier. Um, But there's a style here. And is that something that was the guiding hand of the human, either in terms of the specificity of the style or the fact that the machine has settled on, apparently settled on a style for putting these things together. So the unknowns behind what is the machine kind of figuring out for itself versus what are what are the humans um, responsible for is another ambiguity. So to me, I mean, putting all of these things together, it just does come back to being a curiosity more than a uh, something something important. And it may turn out to be important in, in the longer now, but where we are now, it's, there's, to me, there's a lot of novelty here and to take nothing away from it. It is impressive and it is cool, but it's not entirely clear what it is yet. Right. I think the creation of the algorithms, uh, might be uh, useful for us to dig into that a little now. Uh, so these, these generative adversarial networks, 
were first introduced in a paper by Ian Goodfellow and uh, some other researchers at the University of Montreal. And what I find interesting about the underlying thesis around these uh, generative adversarial networks is that they can be applied to a variety of creative outputs. I mean, Obvious has has used this um, for their um, their fine art painting, but these could be used, uh, I imagine, for photos or other types of images, as well as you know potentially other types of artworks. The way it's done, and I'm certainly not an AI researcher, but in in sort of layman's terms, the way it's handled is there are two algorithms that are essentially competing with each other. There's a generative algorithm which creates these new images based on the training data set. And then there's an algorithm that tries to categorize that image. Um, It's uh, discriminatory. So it's trying to categorize that as you know, not a valid image. So you have the one generator <laughs> that's that's creating the image and the other one that's saying, okay, that's not really that's not really quite right yet. It doesn't match up uh, with the parameters from our training data. And so when the generator can fool the discriminator, then that output is created, right? So when the generator creates something that's so close to the training data set that the discriminator can no longer determine whether it was generated by human or by machine, then that is the triumphal moment. That is that that's when you have this uh, this artwork completed. So I thought that competitive, you know, it really is two algorithms, two uh, mathematical models that are battling it out to make the artwork come to life. And that approach uh, apparently is quite powerful and has the ability to create stuff that 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 human beings are are interested in as well. Dirk, I don't know if um, if you've heard of this type of modeling before or uh, are familiar with it, but you know, just from a layman's perspective, uh, your thoughts. Uh, the specifics of this model aren't one that I've researched, but it is. It is reflective of practices in AI to get to these sort of outcomes. And especially in the creative field, I feel like this approach has been generating some really interesting outputs, and I'm sure we're going to encounter more and, and, and talk about those more on the show as time progresses. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned